Welcome to the Calgary Real Estate Investing Podcast, all about real estate investing in the Calgary market. Today's show is sponsored by Mikasa Home Inspections, Calgary's top-rated home inspection company. Mikasa understands that the highest quality of service is essential, so make sure to call Mikasa before your next real estate deal. And now your host, Corey Peckford. Hey guys, on today's show, I dive into all things short-term rentals with Jared McMurray. Jared is the owner of Aisling Bale, property management company that provides a full service for short-term rentals. If you've been considering getting into short-term rentals or would like to learn more about them, you're definitely going to get a lot of value from this show. Hey, morning, Jared. Welcome to the Calgary Real Estate Investing Podcast. How are you doing this morning? Good. How are you? Thanks for uh, having me. Hey, doing well besides the cold weather. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Can you start off just by telling our listeners about yourself and what you do in the short-term rental space? Our company is a full-service property management company that we specialize in short-term rentals. Yeah, so we've been doing this for about our first Airbnb we bought about five years ago and then started pushing our company full bore about three years ago. Okay, and then what does that mean by like full service? So what are you guys doing? Maybe you could dig into that a little bit. Yeah, full service is basically you have a property. You don't have to do anything except for furnish it. So we'll look after all the cleaning, all the guest interaction, all the problems, all the bookings. We'll list your property on all the major platforms. Um, do everything related to the property. Like some companies would be like, maybe they do just like guest messaging or, you know, they would piecemeal that out. We're just full service. Yeah. Okay. So your client would provide the furniture, but what about like bedding, towels, that kind of stuff, toilet paper? So we, yeah, we would provide all the consumables. So paper towel, toilet paper, shampoo, conditioner, body wash, all that kind of stuff that the guests would need. Linens we provide to the property because we don't like to do laundry on site. We want to do it off site. So all our linens for every property is the same. And we manage about 120 vacation rentals right now. Awesome. What was your affinity moment? So obviously this is a big undertaking to start up. You know, there's a lot of logistics and it's not an easy thing to manage. So what was your affinity moment to even get into this space? I worked for Husky as a millwright for 14 years. That was my career. And then I was uh, rebuilding an engine one day and I was like, this is pointless. Like I don't enjoy doing this. So I went home and I talked to my wife and I said, like, we should try and do something, you know, like I hear about this Airbnb stuff and I know a guy who does it in Drumheller and he was making decent money. And so we started thinking, okay, well, what would be a good market to buy in that would be kind of like three or four seasons? So we ended up buying a place in Invermere, actually, because we thought it was central to Panorama, the ski hill and summertime here in the valley is very busy. So we bought our first property and we were terrified and so we started running it ourselves and we were actually looking for company like ours to do what we do there was a couple options but they were 40 percent and they didn't return calls they didn't do a good job so we bought another property and then we were like we should start doing this for other people and my wife was staying at home with our kids at the time so she kind of spearheaded that side of the business i kept working and then when we got to about 18 properties, I quit my job in the oil patch and we just went full on with the property management. Yeah. Yeah. That's awesome, man. Good for yeah. you. 
can you just tell me your company name? It's kind of a unique name, where that comes from. Yeah, so it's Aisling Bale. It's Celtic. It's actually pronounced Ashling if you said it correctly. But so Ashling means dream in Celtic and Bale means home. So it's dream home. And we're both Irish descent, my wife and I. My last name's McMurray and hers used to be McClements. So yeah, we actually went to Ireland on our honeymoon. But yeah, so that's kind of how it came up. And like Chelsea's never wavered on the name. And when we were young and like just starting out, I was like, I don't know about this name. Like people can't say it, but <laughs> overall the reception has been really good and it has a bit of a, a uniqueness to it. So we just stuck with it. Sweet. I'd love to be able to go to Ireland and drink a Guinness. Yes. Yeah. It's good. It's <laughs> on good. my list. It's on my list for sure. Okay. So let's start off by talking about Calgary. If you can give us like a 10,000 foot view of the STR market in Calgary. Yeah, so like Calgary is a strong market overall. What we see there is a lot of longer term stays. So in other markets that we're in, you'd see more two, three night stays. Calgary, you're more often than not seeing two week to a month long stays. Could be various reasons, like people coming to visit family, people coming to work. We've got a lot of people that, let's say they live in a neighborhood in their house flooded or they're renovating their house they want to stay close to home keep the kids in the same school so they just rent a house for a month while their place is getting renovated close by interesting do you see any seasonality there like you know, obviously everybody gets busier in the summer so do you yes. see a, maybe a bit more of the shorter stays but obviously bookings are higher during the summer months yeah shorter stays in the summer because your rates are higher so to book a house for the whole summer would be you know, fifteen, twenty thousand dollars. So yeah, summertime you see a lot more shorter stays. There's a lot of seasonality. So slowest time of the year is actually where we are now. Like basically October, November is the slowest time of the year in that market. But that's when you can price it aggressively to try and get those more executive or month-long stays. Yeah, for sure. How does the city of Calgary view short-term rentals? What is it like dealing with them, setting one up? It's super easy, actually. It's a quick little, basically a business license application. It only takes a few days to get it. I think they've done a good job at making it reasonable for people to still do it. And they haven't talked about banning it or anything like that nature. If you look at Toronto, Toronto banned Airbnbs essentially unless you live in the home. So they went from like 14,000 Airbnb listings or vacation rental listings to like a thousand overnight. Airbnb actually just pulled right out of Toronto. You can't list your property on Airbnb since then. Wow, so, that's too bad. And it's like, okay, there's a rental shortage. They want more long-term rentals. But if you talk to anybody in Toronto today, the problem is still exactly the same. It didn't solve any problems, you know? Yeah, yeah, for sure. Yeah. For someone wanting to get into short-term rentals in Calgary, do you have any recommendations for property types? What seems to be working the best? Yeah, so in my opinion, the condo market in Calgary is still very underpriced. It's come up, obviously, in the last year. If you look at condo prices downtown Calgary compared to any other major city, they're still ridiculously cheap. So you get a nice one-bedroom or two-bedroom downtown, and that place will rent very, very well, even in the slow times. Obviously, not all buildings are going to allow the short-term rentals, so right. you got to look at that, too. Would you say there's a decent number in downtown Calgary where they are short-term rental friendly? Yeah, so realtors are your best friends when it comes to that. 
I always feel bad for realtors that haven't looked for a short-term rental friendly building because it is a huge undertaking. And what they did is the like, Calgary left it up to each condo board individually to either allow or disallow vacation rentals. So if you find a building that allows it, then you're good to go. Usually once an Airbnb kind of gets established in a building, you'll see more and more pop up and it'll slowly just take over that building. It's wild actually, but I would say that there's quite a few. There's more that don't allow it than do, that's for sure. Some that used to allow it, like the Guardian, they don't allow it anymore. Colors is a good one. Downtown, they allow it. It's close to BMO, which once that's all done, that's going to be an amazing building for STRs. The access is something that is tricky when you're dealing with apartments downtown. So what you need to do or what we do is we automate as much as possible in our business. So if a building has a buzzer or if it doesn't have a buzzer, if it doesn't have a buzzer and you need to physically give somebody the keys, then you need to figure that out. It's going to be a lot more legwork. If you don't live in the city, then it's very difficult to do. If it has a buzzer, then you can actually automate the buzzer system. Like I don't want to have to tell a guest that they can't check in at, you know, one or two in the morning if they happen to come in late. And I don't want my phone to ring at one or two in the morning to buzz somebody in. And I don't want to have to buzz them in every time they come to the building. So what I do is I just automate it. When they buzz in, it calls a computer. It just pressing nine all day. So you figure out the buzzing system on the building. If it's a nine or a six, then you set it up with a computer and then they can buzz in. Yeah, we had one company or one building actually call the number and then they realized it didn't call a real person. So we told that client we couldn't work with them because it needs to be automated for us to work yeah, well. Yeah. If it is a building where you don't have that automation, it's probably best just to stay away from it. Because I mean, who wants to physically hand keys to someone? Yeah, unless you live in Calgary. And like, if you live in Calgary and you're close by to where you're renting, absolutely, you could do that. Like in other cities, there's companies that have solved this problem. They'll go to like a 7-Eleven and they'll set up a little stand in 7-Eleven because 7-Eleven's open 24 hours a day. And then you could just rent a key box in 7-Eleven essentially. And then the key's always in 7-Eleven and then you just pay a monthly fee to keep it there. So the guests would go to 7-Eleven, pick up their keys and away they go. So that might come to Calgary one day. Maybe there's something already there like that, but I don't know about it. Yeah, yeah. That would be pretty slick, actually. Yes. For those situations. Most buildings don't want to have a bunch of lock boxes locked to gates or, you know, outside. It looks bad. Yeah, for sure. So what about like a detached home? Let's say it has a legalized suite. I've heard some things, you know, about those type of properties also doing really well in the short-term rental space. Yeah. Are you okay. finding that as well, like from a cash flow perspective? And the other thing is if you buy in a condo association and people start getting fed up and they change, you know, their bylaws, they may not allow it anymore. Whereas if you just go, you know, acquire a detached property, unless the city gets involved, you do have a bit more control that way. Yes. Um, what are your thoughts on that on a detached? So, yeah, I think it's a very good, especially if you live in the home. So one thing it's a hot topic with short-term rentals is like, okay, security or people might not feel like it's safe, but like grandma or auntie who's single lives at home by herself and has a basement. I would highly recommend doing Airbnbs. Like it's honestly restored my faith in humanity in terms of 
how respectful people are overall. And it's very cool. Like, I think if you had a place that had a basement suite and you lived upstairs, you would have an incredible experience. You'd meet really cool people. I mean, that's how Airbnb kind of started, right? And I think that if you do do that, you can offer the guest an incredible stay when you're on site. So like a company like ours, we're built in systems, right? So you lose a little bit of that personal touch. Like I could never compete with somebody who lives on the property in terms of how they take care of a guest. And I'll say that for any company that's of any size, if you're a small boutique kind of operator, you can offer the guest an extremely cool, unique experience. You can very like tailor it to them. So if you were living in the house and you rented out your basement, you could do an incredibly good job and you'd meet amazing people. So you would make way more money doing that than a long-term rental, in my opinion, and you'd have a lot more fun doing it. If it is a standalone home and you rent out the basement, let's say you had a long-term rental and you called us to manage your basement suite, it's not as appealing to the renter when they don't know the person upstairs. If there's an issue, it's a little bit harder to rectify. But the most important thing for any rental is the interior design. So if you have a basement suite or a house or a condo, it doesn't really matter. If it's not nice and things are not working properly, people aren't going to like it. It doesn't have to be the best, nicest stuff. It just has to be clean and well looked after, if that makes sense. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Yeah. Any properties that, you know, from working in the business uh, that you would recommend just staying away from altogether? Anything I would stay away from would be like quarter shares or eighth shares. I've seen those um, where you just buy a quarter of a property. I would stay away from that. I would actually stay away from a basement suite, but I don't think so, man. Like if you're buying a big house, a really big house, that can sometimes be tricky because let's say you have a place that sleeps 15 people in Calgary, like you have to price it to sleep 15. So your market becomes very narrow. You're charging more, but you're getting way less bookings, if that makes sense. So your peaks and valleys are more extreme. So when it's good, it's really good. But when it's bad, it's just, your house will just sit empty. So bigger, bigger houses are something that I don't see the bang for buck as much as just buying multiple small places. Yeah, yeah, for sure. My brother has a large heritage home in Kelowna and he put it on, you know, short-term rental. And it definitely, I mean, the cleaning fee was enormous because it was such a big house and it probably doesn't do as well as something smaller that, you know, you right. just... You don't need two families in the property kind of thing at a time. And then right. you know, with a crazy cleaning fee. and Like and summer in Kelowna, he'd be booked up solid, right? Yeah. But then outside of that, like how many groups of 14 are traveling in November? It's just not, it's not happening. Not very common. Like two to six people is kind of the sweet spot, you know? Yeah. I was going to ask you that. Is there a bit of a nice sweet spot in Calgary? Like let's say a three-bedroom Versus if you're doing like a one bedroom, one bath, or is there anything like that that you're noticing? The one bedrooms, one or two bedroom condos rent extremely well. We have condos, houses, all sorts of shapes and sizes. The occupancy in those smaller places is higher. The rates are lower, but the occupancy is higher. We have like a place in Tuxedo that's a four bedroom and it does extremely well. And it's kind of set up to be for a family. That place there, like... I'd say your max should be around eight, like two to eight. If you go over eight, then you start getting into what we talked about, where it's slower. Okay. 
any yeah. quadrants that you, like in Calgary? So obviously we're a big spread out city. Are you finding that short-term rental can work almost in any quadrant if it's the right property and set up correctly? Yeah, any quadrant it can work, honestly. That's good to know. And then what advice, so someone, you know, is thinking about maybe turning their property into a short-term rental or getting into the short-term rental space, what advice would you give them, someone just starting out? The best thing you could do is find a cleaner and pay them really well. Big mistake I see is, you know, people see a cleaning fee and they're like, that's crazy. But honest to God, a good cleaner is charging anywhere from 40 bucks up. Like if you find a cleaner that's charging $25, they're not charging enough and they're probably not good. So cleaning fees are expensive. Yes. But the cleaner is your whole business, essentially. Like that's the, the lifeline of your business. They're either eyes on the ground there and they don't get enough credit, man. Like cleaning is difficult. It's hard work, especially when Airbnbs, like it's demanding because it's, it's like having a hotel spread out over a big distance, right? So you have five hours to clean a place. And if you have multiple in the day, it's yeah, cleaners don't get enough credit. It's a hard job. Yeah, I bet. And then what about redundancy? You must have to have some sort of built-in redundancy. It's like, oh, the cleaner is sick today and I need this unit clean. So you must have redundancy built into everything. Yeah. So there's some cool apps out there. Like there's a like turnover BNB, which is essentially like Uber for Airbnb cleaners. So you post a job, the cleaners like bid on it essentially, or they accept the job. So that's kind of cool, but it only works in urban settings. It wouldn't work in a rural setting where you have less people. So it works good in Calgary, but we have like our staff. We like to staff our cleaners in-house. So we have like 23 cleaners, let's say, or 25 cleaners. So we have that built in. But if you had multiple units then, and you didn't have in-house staff, I would suggest finding a company that has you know more than one cleaner find a company with like five or six. So that's yeah. built in for you as well. Yeah. And then what about like the conversation where, you know, that cleaner is going to have eyes on the property basically every day or, you know, there's all must be conversations about, okay, if you see damage, if you see something leaking, like we need to know, like right now kind of thing, you know, to get it exactly. fixed, right? Yeah. So for us, what we have is a cleaner goes to a property and they have a task. It's kind of like a work order. And there's pictures associated to each task. And then it tells them what we want it to look like or what to do. We basically say like, listen, you're the eyes and ears on the ground for all of this, you know? So if there's any damage, they take a picture in the app, it comes to us, we report it to the owner and then we get it fixed. On a smaller scale, you just have to have that conversation with your owner or with your cleaner and say like, you know, this is what I want you to look for. If there's egregious guest damage or if it's accidental, whatever it might be, you can bill that back to the guest through whatever platform, Airbnb or Verbo. We put a $500 damage deposit on all our stays. So on Airbnb, they don't actually collect that $500. They just, it's basically like the guest agrees to pay the $500 if they wreck something. So it gives you a little bit more authority if something happens. But on Verbo, we do a pre-authorization on their credit card. So we would just take it from their credit card. I yeah. see. Yeah, that makes yeah. sense. And how about when you take over, I'm sure there's people out there, they're like, hey, I've got a couple of short-term rentals, I'm going to manage it. And then they get overwhelmed. 
and they basically that's when they reach out to someone like you, right? What kind of mistakes do you see when you kind of maybe do the onboarding or start taking over a property, you know, that someone has been making? Biggest mistakes I see is pricing. So lots of times you can hire us and we'll be able to price it. Like we do this every day for a living, full-time job, right? So pricing is a big one. So lots of times somebody could pay us to manage their property and actually make more money. Other times, like their inventory in their kitchen, let's say, is sparse. It's like they buy this property, they spend all the money on this nice property, and then they cheap out right at the end. Instead of like putting a few extra dollars and making the guests know that you care. So if you buy a dollar store can opener, the guest is going to pick that can opener up and feel it. Like they're going to feel that you didn't care enough to buy like a half decent one. You know, those kinds of things. It's another very common mistake. The stuff obviously with like, say the Dollarama thing. Well, the other thing is it's probably going to break in about a week or two and it's just a headache, right? Instead of buying right. something with quality. Yeah. And I'm not saying buy a $40 can opener, but like there's a happy medium there, you know, having a first aid kit and a fire extinguisher should be in every listing. A lot of people overlook that. How about capturing reviews? Are there anything that you guys are doing to like, hey, to kind of promote that uh, review as opposed to, you know, someone maybe that's just doing it on their own? Yeah. So I think anybody doing it on their own should be automating as much as possible in terms of check-in instructions and checkout instructions. So what we do is we do the checkout instructions and then we remind them about the review. And then if they've been a really good guest, we let them know that we're going to leave them a good review. So when you tell somebody, Hey, I'm going to leave you a great review. It makes it personal. And then they're like, okay, they'll feel guilty about leaving a bad review in some sense, because it's like, Oh, they're going to give me a good review. They told me that. So they're more likely to leave you a good review as well. The other huge mistake I think people make when they're doing it themselves is they don't treat it like a job. So like when a guest is looking for properties, they message, let's say, three prospective properties that all kind of interest them. And the first person to respond positively with the information the guest wants is the one who's going to get that booking. So if you're doing it yourself and you're like, not responding for an hour after a guest inquires about your property. I've already booked that guy into our property. Do you know what I mean? So yeah, like being Johnny it's on the spot. Speed to lead for sure. Yes, and exactly. Then, and the other one was the law of reciprocity, right? So you're reciprocating like, hey, you know, we were thankful that you're our guest. And so you leave them a good review and, you know, you left the place tidy kind of thing. And yeah, well, that's great. Yeah. Great information. Any thoughts on cash flow? Like what would make... One, obviously, if you have systems in place and you're more efficient, but what would make one maybe cash flow? Obviously, if you're going to get your bookings, any sort of like little tweaks that you've seen where it's like, and now this one's kind of like doing a little better because of these changes? Yeah. So the number one thing, like I said, is interior design. So if you want to increase your occupancy and the amount that you can charge, make your place nicer, add some amenities. You know, a lot of people don't do cable anymore, which is fine. Roku TVs have a lot of built-in uh, channels that are free, but we're setting up a place in Cochrane and I looked only like 12% of them had cable. So when it comes playoff hockey time or like any sports fan, they want to be able to watch their favorite team or the news. Some people still like to watch the news. So that's just like anything you can do to give yourself like a little bit of a leg up. 
Another huge one is pets. So I always recommend allowing pets in any rental. I always tell the owners that our clients, I say, listen, you don't have to allow pets, but I strongly recommend that you do because 50% of people are traveling with their pets. It's honestly a massive number. So if you just take down barriers that would prevent people from booking, adding little things like pack and plays for kids so people can pack lighter, hair dryers in the bathrooms, foosball tables if you got the space, get board games, just little things like that that just kind of create more options for people to do while they're staying with you. Yeah, yeah, that's great advice. Yeah. Have you come across, so like, let's say on a detached side where you're getting the neighbors or maybe not happy that there's a short-term rental and they're contacting the city or anything like that? Not so much in Calgary, but in BC we've had, and now it's not quite the same because it's in a Bearland strata. So a strata is basically like a condo board in BC. They're just called stratas in BC. So the strata as a whole can vote out short-term rentals. So we have one big place in a strata that they're voting this year on potentially banning short-term rentals there. But the best thing to do is like meet your neighbors. You know, when we take on a new property, I always try and give my card out to the neighbors and say, listen, like call me directly anytime if you have any issues at all. And I'll, I can fix the problem faster than anybody else because I have direct access to the guest. So a neighbor calling the police or something like that is going to be a much slower response time than obviously if there's like a major problem, you got to call the police. But if it's just like a noise or something, then the quickest way to fix it is through the host. Yeah, I would think that some sort of privacy would be helpful too. Let's say if you're a house, you know, with a deck and, you know, the neighbors are staring at that deck all the time and there's somebody new out there every evening or every other evening, if there's more privacy where it's probably going to get less complaints, I would think. But I think in a lot of city settings, it's kind of sad, but I think a lot of communities now, it's like neighbors don't even talk anymore. You know, it's kind of weird. It's like you live next to each other, you say hi once in a while. But so a lot of neighborhoods, people... They know it's an Airbnb, but it's literally the same as if somebody lived there because they wouldn't talk to them anyway. In smaller settings where it's more personal, definitely you need to like really schmooze that neighbor and make sure everybody's happy. Yeah, I see. Yeah, okay. we use noise monitors. So like we put a noise monitor outside. If we have a standalone home, we put a noise monitor outside. We put a noise monitor inside. And then the one outside is actually more important than inside in that setting. I think. Yeah. yeah, for sure. And what kind of strategies actually you just touched on one. So to prevent the partiers, right, from showing up and being too loud and stuff. So you got the noise monitors and obviously you're letting your guests probably know ahead of time that, hey, there's, you know, this is unacceptable. Yeah. What kind of other ways are you preventing that? Yeah. So Airbnb, we have like what we call a pre-booking message. They actually just kind of changed that. They don't have it anymore. But what we used to do or what we still do is ask the guests to tell us about themselves. When you have instant book turned on, so there's a setting called instant book on Airbnb and Verbo, which I highly recommend having it on because it boosts your search ranking on the platform. And their goal is to make it easiest for the guests to book a property in the least amount of clicks. So anyways, if a guest books and they have 15 five-star reviews, we don't even worry. If they don't say anything to us, we don't even question it. If a guest books and they just joined the platform, and they have no reviews and they don't say anything, then we open a dialogue. We say, hey, listen, like 
tell us about yourself, tell us about your party. And we just get that feeling from them. It's maybe a bit higher risk if it's a very short booking as well, I bet, right? So that's like, oh, why is this all of a sudden Saturday night's booked? Uh, right. You know, so that would probably be a bit of a flag, right? Yes. If like they booked for tonight and it was Saturday for one night, definitely a little bit more of a, a red flag there, but doesn't mean by any means that they're going to be bad people because we've done that lots. Yeah. It just, that's the one that you just put a little bit more thought and time into. So if you're messaging the guests and you're not getting a response, then you should be worried and you should probably do something about it. Like either cancel the reservation or whatever it might be. So on Verbo, you're allowed to set the minimum age of renter. So we set ours to 24. On Airbnb, you're not allowed to discriminate against age. So what Airbnb did is they, if you live in the city, let's say you live in Calgary and you're 18, you're not allowed to book an Airbnb in Calgary until you're 23, I think. So if you're 18 and you live in Calgary, but you go to Edmonton, you could book an Airbnb in Edmonton if that makes sense. Interesting. I didn't know that. Yeah. But what we're doing, like there's software, there's so many softwares in what we do. There's a software called Superhog. There's a software called Autohost. And what they've done is they have actually created guest verification. So we're building out a, what we call a guest portal. And basically in order for the guests to get their check-in information, they'll have to submit their government issue ID through our app, and then we'll approve it or decline it. If they don't submit their government issue ID, then they don't get a check-in information. So, so we're taking it one step further. Nice, and then those apps are probably doing like a search on social media kind of stuff and background and any sort of flags. Autohost is like, it's expensive. I wanna say it's $12 a month per property, maybe more if you're just a single property, but they're doing like, they're checking databases of pedophiles and like they're doing an insane amount of stuff. Yeah. Wow. Interesting. Yeah. And what other type of security are you typically seeing on an STR? So like maybe the cameras, that kind of thing. Yeah. A lot of people do ring doorbell cameras. You're not allowed to have cameras inside of any vacation rental. If you do have cameras outside, you have to declare it on the listings so that people know that they're there and, and active. So what we do on some bigger standalone houses is we have cameras just outside, basically pointing at the driveway. If it sleeps 12, we just want to make sure there's 12 people there and not 24. That's kind of how we use it. But for the most part in a condo setting, it's pretty secure, especially if you're using a noise monitor. If people get loud, there's lots of people around, they're going to hear it and they're going to let you know pretty quickly. So... Yeah, for sure. What happens in a situation like that? Let's say it was booked for, you know, it's six and you're like on the cameras and it's like, hey, there's 12 there. How would that play out as a, you know? First thing you do always is reach out to the guest. That would be a phone call instantly. Some things you just message for, but that would be a phone call and you get some context like, hey, like, why is there 12 people there? Maybe they're just coming to visit for the day maybe you know what i mean like just because there's 12 people doesn't necessarily mean they're doing something wrong but yeah start that conversation through a phone call if they're rude or you don't like what they're saying then definitely call the police you know i would drive over there myself and i would just be like you know you guys gotta leave open a ticket with airbnb get them involved and yeah like you can't go rogue and 
like start pushing people out of your house. You just gotta <laughs> like, you gotta let the police do that. The main difference between a short-term rental and a tenancy or a, a long-term rental, I guess, is a short-term rental is essentially a license to occupy. So a hotel is what you get for the license to occupy. A long-term lease has a tenancy, like a lease agreement in place. So that gives the tenant lots of rights to the property. You can't just show up at a long-term rental without notice and go inside. With a short-term rental, you can. Like I can go to the, any property at any time and the guest doesn't have any rights to that property, essentially. Yeah, that's a, definitely a key difference. Yeah. Can you explain just for the listeners what Airbnb arbitrage is? Yeah. So rental arbitrage is basically you have a property and you're renting it. You're looking for a long-term tenant. So I would come to you and I would say, hey, Corey, let me rent your place out from you under the agreement that I can use it as an Airbnb or a vacation rental. I'll pay you a set amount per month. So let's say we agreed at 1300 Me and you would sign a lease saying I pay you $1,300. And then we would have a sub lease agreement saying I'm allowed to rented out on a short-term basis. So basically I would come in, I would furnish your place and then I would start renting it out as an Airbnb. Anything I make over $1,300, I would keep. So it's a risk reward thing. There's a bit of a cost to set it up. People do it for a living. Like that's their whole business is doing rental arbitrage. The best way to pitch it to somebody. So let's say you were on rent faster you'd go to the landlord and you'd say, Hey, listen, like you're asking 1300, I'm going to pay you 1500 and I'll guarantee your property is more maintained because when it comes to a vacation rental, everything in the property has to be clean and it has to work. So if it doesn't, your reviews are going to reflect that. So when you get a property back after a long-term lease, after a year, maybe you haven't been there for a year, you don't know what you're walking into. If you use our service after a year, you walk in your property and you wouldn't even know anybody's been there. That's huge. I've been in properties with long-term rentals. One, the shower was leaking and it leaked for two years and there was mold everywhere, like underneath the vinyl, it had rotted the wood out and some of it had reached down into the condo unit below. And it's like, wow. Like, Why didn't somebody say something or, you know, like that's the huge benefit of, like if we're in there every few days cleaning it, we would notice something like that. So apart from like a few nicks on the wall here and there and general wear and tear of furniture, your property is going to be the same. You know, that's the pitch. If you're trying to get into rental arbitrage, that's the pitch to the owners. Okay. Like pay them a little bit more. I have one rental arbitrage. And what I did is I paid them the same amount every month. And then in the peak months, I increased the rent. So I paid them 300 bucks more a month in the peak months. It's worked out extremely well for both of us. Smart. Yeah, that's smart. And then for your furnishings, are you getting like a better quality, like kind of almost like commercial grade stuff just so it lasts longer? No, in a rental arbitrage, it's very tricky. So the best thing to do would be like, and this is where the risk comes in. So ideally you'd sign a two-year lease. Because if you're forking out all the money to furnish a place and you only have it for one year, you're basically going to eat all your profit for that year on buying that furniture. Do you see what I mean? Mm -hmm. So like 
on a one bedroom condo, it might cost you 10,000 bucks to furnish it. Let's say maybe you could do it cheaper. Of course you could do it cheaper, but let's say it's 10 grand and you made 12 grand that year on that property. Like your first year is almost a wash. So I would suggest trying to get a two-year lease, but at the same time, if you don't know what you're doing and you walk into a lease for two years and you're paying the guy 1300, but you're only making a thousand, then you just made a bad deal for the next two years. Yeah. There's risk there for sure. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Pros and cons to that, a two-year lease for sure. Yeah. For updates and stuff, generally in my mind, I think, okay, when I look at a house, I think, okay, it needs to have new floors. It needs to have new paint, bathrooms, kitchen should look good. For a short-term rental to be successful, does it always have to be that way? Or can you kind of get by with just clean and maintained? Clean and maintained. So like we have a couple properties that are questionable. My wife, she doesn't like them that much. The analogy I use is I say, you can have a five-star stay at a Super 8 and you can have a two-star stay at the Carlton Ritz. So like, it doesn't have to be the shiniest and like newest updated. It has to be clean and it has to be, everything works. So, so like clean sheets, clean towels, that kind of stuff and a clean unit. But it, yeah, it, and you're like, you don't, your couch can't be like falling apart and your blinds can't be hanging off the windows. Like the toilet has to work. The shower has to work. Everything needs to work. And then you price it accordingly. So you don't price a Super 8 the same as a Carlton Ritz. You price <laughs> it to match what it is. And then like if people are paying 80 bucks for a lesser place, they're happy with that. You That's know? right. Yeah, for it's sure. Expectations. That makes sense for sure. Yeah. Let's say you acquired a 1980s property and you're like, hey, I want to get top dollar for this as a short-term rental. Where would you spend your money on the updates? Kitchen, bathrooms. I mean, it's the same. It sounds cliche, but it's honestly the truth in Airbnbs too. We have a couple of places where the upstairs is remodeled and then the basement is original. People see the upstairs and the kitchen's nice and everything's nice up there and the bathrooms are kind of nice they'll have a great stay because the bedrooms are the last, like that's where people go to sleep. But as long as the bed is good and the linens are good, they're going to be okay. Yeah. That makes sense. Yeah. Okay. We're going to wrap up here pretty quick, but if you could just tell the listeners your company name again and give us an explanation of the services you guys provide, that kind of stuff. Yeah. So our company is Aisling Bale, full service, short-term rental management. We're 25% of the net nightly rate. So that includes all your cleaning, all your consumables for the property, smart lock. So we'll change the door code automatically every guest. Professional photos, that's another one we didn't mention is people make huge mistakes on not getting professional photos. Like that's so important. So we provide that for you for free. We have a full interior design team. So if you need help furnishing or decorating your place, we can do that for you as well. Noise monitoring, obviously. Yeah, you're basically hands off. Let's say you're spending 10 hours a week on managing your own rental and you're somebody who makes 50 bucks an hour. That's quite expensive when you break your time out. You know, you pay us, you don't have to give up your time and you'll make just as much or if not more money. When I look at short-term rentals compared to a long-term rental, I think of it as a logistic kind of nightmare, to be honest with you. Because yep. who wants to be on call 24-7 for their property, right? Where it's yes. like, oh, I can't get in my unit and it's 2 a.m. Oh, yeah. Like, 
So who shaved in the batteries in that TV remote? <laughs> that's like, right. All those they, little they, things. These small little things that you don't think about. For sure. And then do you guys service, like, let's say someone is in Airdrie or they're in Okotoks. Are you guys taking care of that area as well, like outside of Calgary, or is it focused on Calgary? No, absolutely. We do Airdrie, Okotoks. We have property in Gull Lake, Sylvan Lake we would do. Cochrane, we're setting up a property this week. Edmonton, like you call me and we'll try and make it work. Awesome. Yeah. And now I'm just going to hit you with a few uh, quick, a bit more personal, quick answer type questions. So what's an app or software? You've mentioned a few of them already, but for your business that you can't live without. So do you use AirDNA? I have. I have used AirDNA when we're going into a new market and I want to know a little bit more about what we're going into. Definitely AirDNA. There's pricing tools that you can use. So Airbnb has their own built-in pricing tool. I would recommend no one should use that because they're not thinking about you. They're thinking about the guest. Like they'll always price it as low as possible. So like there's wheelhouse, price labs, beyond pricing. Those are very helpful. You can do them on a small scale that just charge you per unit per month kind of thing. They have lots of useful data in there. Yeah. Well, that's good to know. And do you have a favorite book? Man, that's a tough question. So Green Lights by Matthew McConaughey's extremely good book i recently read a book by tim kennedy called scars and stripes also i never heard of him before but he's an incredible person he is a navy seal and a ufc fighter very cool story yeah i'll have to check it out yeah and then what kind of things do you like doing activities outside of the short-term rental space i work all the time man um <laughs> I play hockey, like ice hockey in the old timers men's league. I'm only 36, so I'm actually one of the youngest guys. So it makes me, <laughs> makes me kind of feel good. In the summertime, we like to golf and uh, try to get out to the lake as much as possible. Yeah. Yeah. Nice. Yeah. Well, thanks, Jared, so much for being on the show today. And you provided like huge amount of value to the listeners. I hope so. Yeah. If anybody has questions, they can always reach out to us. Someone looking to reach out to you online, uh, what's the best way for them to find you? Our website, aislingbale.com. You can just Google it. You'll find us um, very easily. Okay, yeah. awesome. And there'll be links in the show notes as well. Yeah, it's info at aislingbale, or you can call our 1-800 number on our website. Somebody will answer. Okay, yeah. awesome, man. Thank you. Okay, thank you. Hey, thanks again for listening to the Calgary Real Estate Investing Podcast. I'm your host, Corey Peckford. I'm an investment-focused real estate agent in Calgary, Alberta. I'm also an entrepreneur, Red Seal electrician, and I hold a Master Home Inspection Certification. If you're thinking about investing in the Calgary area, please reach out and let me put my real estate expertise to work for you. I can be reached at 587-893-2272. Follow me on Instagram at PeckfordCorey, or my website is CoreyPeckford.com. Plus, we have a Facebook group. It's Calgary Real Estate Investing Group, so Craig for short. Please follow that. If you're getting great value from this podcast, please subscribe and leave a five-star review. That would be greatly appreciated. Thanks. This is an I Love Mortgage Brokering production.